uh, a Valentine's message. So we're going to be talking about love and marriage and, um, well, the title of the message is up there, Forging a Relationship That Lasts. I don't know what this thing is doing up here. There we go. And then a marriage construction zone. Now, um, before we get into that, one of the things that I enjoy so much about being a Christian is we just have such a rich story and heritage, don't we? Um, and Valentine's is no exception to that. Did you know that the roots of Valentine's Day go back to a third century uh, bishop in Rome? His name was Valentine. And the story, you know, sometimes with these old stories, it's hard to sort out what is uh, legend and what is fact, but uh, his story goes something like this in history. Um, he was a, a beloved bishop in Rome. This is in the third century, about the 260s is about when it was. And so there was, there was a growing contingency of Christians in Rome, and uh, Valentine... Uh, was just beloved by the, by the Christians. Now, many of the Christians were in the Roman army. And Claudius was the emperor at that time, and he had passed a decree that no soldier, while they were working in the service of the Roman army, could get married. And so Valentine decided that he was going to uh, go outside the lines and he was performing uh, marriages among soldiers and their fiancés. And uh, so they, they, they didn't get out of the army, but they could be married. Well, Claudius got wind of that, and he wasn't very happy about that. And um, so he had Valentine arrested and put in prison. And there was a judge that knew about the story of Valentine, and I don't know how this happened, but somehow the judge and his daughter um, got acquainted with Valentine. But the judge's daughter was blind, and Valentine prayed for her, and she was healed. And so the whole household came to the Lord. That didn't get Valentine out of prison, though. And while he was imprisoned, the daughter, who through his prayers was healed, sent a note to Valentine because his execution date was set. And that note was titled, To My Valentine. And so uh, it turns out that a few days later, on February the 14th, Valentine was executed in Rome. But before he was executed, he even had an audience with Emperor Claudius himself. But Claudius wasn't converted. So there's the roots of, of Valentine's Day. So another one of those dates on our Christian calendar, that if you trace them back, they have Christian origins. And I do think, and, and I heard something this morning when we were having our coffee, I think it was, and it was on TBN. There's a couple of programs when we get up and are still uh, waking up. 
uh, that we like to watch. And uh, in one, between one of the programs, there was the leaders of TBN, and I said to Sharia, I said, is that Dr. Phil? And uh, turns out it was. And I don't know if there is a, this is a new conversion or he's always been a Christian, but he's partnering with TBN right now because he says that one of the critical needs in our country today is the strengthening of marriage and families. And so he's dedicating at least a portion of his nationally known career to trying to build and strengthen and I'm presuming this is in a Christian context because he's on TBN talking to the leaders there. And that was encouraging. There are some encouraging things that are happening, even in discouraging times right now. I saw another thing just last night. Some of you have seen it. This happened to be, on, I think it was on Fox. And there was a young man who was arrested down on the strip because he was scaling the sphere. Now, I don't know whether it didn't look like the stratosphere. Was that the sphere he was talking about? I don't know. And anyway, um, but he had a hat on and he said, make America gospel again. Well, that's a good, I think I might get one of those hats. Make America gospel again. And those that were down there passing out tracks, they were arrested by Metro. And so, I don't know, I lost track of the story from there. But there, there really is a, a, a critical need and something do, done, being done about trying to we, reawaken us to some of the spiritual roots and core values that we have. And so this morning, I want us to talk about, um, I'm calling it a marriage construction zone, but how we can build homes and relationships that last when there's so many deviant and alternative ways that people are experimenting with and I don't think they're going to end that well. And so, but before we do that, and I'm, I, want to, I want to talk about this for just a moment because not everybody is married. And I remember years ago when I was pastoring in Santa Cruz, California, there was a, a lady in the church. Her name was Nancy Skeen, and she served the Lord alone. Her husband was named Ken, and, but Nancy was very involved, um, uh, kind of like Trina and Crystal, always decorating and helping around the church and all that. But whenever we had a gathering, Nancy was never there. And uh, I asked her one time, Nancy, why don't you come to these? She said, because I'm single. And serving the Lord alone is what she meant to say or what she did say. And I just feel like everything is so geared to people that are married that I feel like a fifth wheel. Well, I want you to know if you're here today and you are widowed or single, um, you're not a fifth wheel. You're in some great company. Some of the greatest People of all time. Jesus was never married. The Apostle Paul never married. A woman who maybe you didn't even, it didn't even register when you read her name when you were reading Luke's gospel in the second chapter. Her name was Anna. As a young woman, she was married for seven years and her husband died. And she lived in the temple dedicated to prayer 
until she died when she was 84. And she was one of those who was there to receive Jesus when he was brought to the temple to be dedicated. So the point is, there's nothing wrong with not being married. In fact, the Apostle Paul advises that way. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Why? Sometimes there's a special calling on your life that you would never be able to fulfill if you were married. Uh, it frees you up to do things, to be somebody, uh, to minister, to serve in ways that others can't. And so while we move on and we talk about building relationships that last, know that there are those of us, those of you that are called to another station in life and God's there with you and there's great things that he can do in you and through you because he knows right who you are and where you are and he's got a plan and purpose for you also. Now, we're going to read through a passage of scripture here, and um, I'm just going to stop as we move through it on a couple of points here, and this is really the, uh, the foundation of what I want to say today, and then we're going to move back to this passage of scripture, and I'll be, uh, but there'll be some others that are coming in there too. So anyway, follow along as I read. Now, um, this is out of the um, New International Version of Scripture, and if you had your Bibles, you would notice that in the New International Version, this first verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is the end of the paragraph before it. But I have edited the Bible, not that I am a great translator, but I know a little bit about it. And I'm not the only one that thinks this. Rather than this being the conclusion of what was before, I believe that Paul meant for this to be the introduction to what follows. In the Greek text, there are not bold paragraph headings and that sort of thing. It all kind of runs together. And so Paul is beginning this section with these words. Submit to one another for out of reverence to Christ. So in what he goes on to say here, and he goes on, and we're just going to talk about what he says about man and woman, or read that, but he goes on to talk about parents and children. He goes on to talk about um, master and slave or employee-employee. All of those roles, he's saying, submit to each other, out of reverence to Christ. So as a husband, you're first of all a husband out of reverence to Christ. You're a wife out of reverence to Christ, a son, a daughter. Uh, over the years, I've performed quite a few weddings. And once in a while, uh, it would happen that a couple that I married would come back around and, uh, and they'd be talking about splitting up. And I would say, well, if that's what you want to do, uh, go ahead if you, want to, if you want to lie to the Lord. And they looked kind of shocked, said, what do you mean? I said, I know what I said when I led the ceremony that united you and married. 
marriage, you pledge to stay together as husband and wife, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, as long as you both shall live, not as long as you both shall love. Well, I didn't know you meant it that way. Well, but that's who we're answering to, first of all, isn't it? To the Lord. Now, I want to preface what's coming next here by understanding, because I know these are days in which the word submission and a, um, and a, a structure to a marriage relationship uh, just goes against the grain of how our culture wants us to live as men and women and husbands and wives. But and I'll, you'll, this will become clear to you as I read it in just a moment. How many of you here resent the headship of Jesus over your life? I'm thankful for that. That is the whole context in which Paul is speaking about the relationship of husband and wife. Think of this, and he says it, and you'll catch it as I read through it in a moment. Everything he's saying about the structure of a marriage relationship is filtered through the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. That's who we are. So, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands, and this one you really have to swallow hard on, on everything. Keep moving. Now, there's somebody here thinking there must be an old manuscript somewhere that doesn't have that in everything part there, and maybe we should just cut that one out. But I'll explain it in a moment. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, I've never met a couple that are serving the Lord together where the cement of this relationship is love that have a problematic relationship. Because that has God has designed us to live and to serve. Now there are exceptions to this, aren't there? It might be injury. It might be a spouse that is not serving the Lord. It might be sickness. There might be extenuating circumstances. And I could give you examples of each of those things and others as well. But as God set it up, this is how it is to work. And so, um, as I was reviewing some things this morning, I, I wanted to make sure and double down on this. So I pulled out my Greek New Testament. And sure enough, every time the word love is used here in Ephesians 5, it is agape. 
Well, there's four loves for Greek in the Greek language. One is storge. This is family love. That word actually doesn't even appear in the New Testament, but it is, it is the Greek word for family love. There is phileo. This is brotherly love. There is eros. This is romantic love. And then there is agape, which the early church might have coined the definition to agape. What it literally means, just in a nutshell, is if you agape someone, you recognize their value and their worth. And you work to see the highest good become a reality in that person who's the object of your agape. So it perfects storge, phileo, eros. And this is Christian love that comes from God. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So if this is saturated... These verses I've read. If this is saturated and immersed in how the relationship between Christ and the church operates on the principle of love, there's nothing to buck against in a man-woman marriage relationship that is founded on that foundation. So keep that in mind as we move along here. Let's look at just some of the building blocks. And I realized as I was putting this message together, this is one of the problems when you don't preach every Sunday. Uh, you, uh, you just have all these things that come out, and by the time I'm done, I've got a three-hour message there. And you would miss the kickoff if that was the case. So as I was going over this, I thought, you know, some of these are going to be bullet points. I'll say something about them, but um, uh, I, it's really, it, I'm really force-feeding a little more than I can get in in about 30 minutes or so. So here we go. Your marriage relationship is a divine mandate. This isn't a relationship of convenience or temporary or optional or something you create in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were created as an order of creation to be joined together as husband and wife. The first institutional relationship in the history of the world. There is a biblical order to that relationship. We've read one of the key passages of that, of that as the text that I just read before. But uh, Genesis says something about it. Peter says something about it. Paul has things to say about it. And so there are biblical guidelines. So to me, this is good news. I don't have to invent 
a relationship that is rooted just in my own trial and error experience and imagination. But there is guidelines that are established that have been proven over and over again, generation after generation. So why do we need to try to reinvent the wheel? What we need to do is in the presence and in the power of the Spirit, in the enlightenment of the Word, and in the context of our relationship, shape that and mold it in the way that it works in the context of the relationship we have. We love from the inside out. Now, women seem to be a little bit better than this than men. Than men. How many of you know that men are very visual? Now the men here are going, not me, not me. (laughs) But they are. And but it's women that oftentimes I'm not I'm not gonna let them off the hook either. They're looking for how much money does he have in the bank? You see? But scripture emphasizes that we are to first of all look at what's inside the package. And not just how it is wrapped up. A great example of this in scripture, and this is uh, the wife of noble character. I I don't have time to go there, but uh, if you want to bookmark it, you can look at some of you are familiar with this. This is in Proverbs 31, where there is the description of the woman to be respected and admired. In terms of how she looks after her household and how she's busy making sure there's clothes and food and she's honored at the city gate because she has such noble character. You build that relationship looking for the inside and those marks of character, those are the things that you emphasize. Romance. This is what we're we're celebrating this week. I can tell you something as a man who loves a woman and that woman sitting right over there loves to be romanced. Okay? When we go out to dinner just talking or just putting my arm around her and she loves compliments too. Is she the only one that's that way? Now, I heard the story about a man and his wife that had been married for a long time, and the wife was just unhappy in the relationship. And she forced her husband to go in for marriage counseling. And so he went in and he sat down, and the counselor was uh, trying to get him to talk about his relationship. And, 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 and the counselor said, you know, your wife just doesn't feel like you really love her anymore. And the the man said, I told her 40 years ago that I loved her, and if anything ever changed, I'd let her know. (laughs) So, romance with dinner, with flowers, kind words, Taking her out to dinner. Just conversation and time spent together. Communication. 
where you just talk. Never let the sun set on your anger. But have enough respect and interest to communicate. And you you do have to understand that men speak one language and I'm still trying to fully decipher the language that women speak. But we come and we think from the inside out in different ways. One of the things that many men, I'm one of them, had to learn it and is that I'm kind of analytical. So what's the problem, Cherie? Now let's just tell me about it, let's talk about it, and we'll just fix it right now. How many guys think that is a good way to go about it? It doesn't always work that way. A woman's more like a crock pot. It takes time. And you've got to wait until she feels like it. Do any of you guys know what I'm talking about? And God's made us that way. Communication. Take time. You may not be able to fix it in the microwave. Okay. And then adjustments. Just because Mr. Husband told his wife 40 years ago that he loved her and that if it changed, he'd let her know. He needed to make some adjustments along the way and he didn't. Okay? But things change. The seasons of our life change. Changes. The circumstances change. Our kids grow up. If we're blessed with children, our careers change. Our abilities change. Cherie and I have reached that point at which we realize that physically, nothing is going to get better. And I asked the doctor a few years ago. I said, doctor, tell me the truth. At this point in my life, I've got diabetes type 2 now, you know, um, my hearing's not as good, you know, you know the list goes on. I said, at this point in my life, doctor, is the best thing I can hope for a soft landing? And he said, well, if you put it that way, yes. So we've got to adjust, don't we? Listen to each other, make changes that happen in our life. Some common obstacles in a relationship. Let's go down these quickly one at a time. Family matters. Okay. Um, I, I, there's different ways that this can happen. Sometimes, sometimes, especially it seems to be with a mom this way, uh, she has a hard time with the empty nest. Okay. But You better get used to it. Or here's another one. I heard one guy tell me one time that he uh, went to a counselor, the counselor, or was he he the counselor? I can't remember. Anyway, the counselor asked. He said he was struggling. This guy was struggling 
uh, with trying to get out what was the problem in his marriage. And the counselor said, well, let me give you, uh, just see if this helps. He said, there's three things uh, that happen often that bring problems in a marriage. He said, it's either in-laws, money, or sex. And the guy said, bingo, bingo, bingo. Well, let's focus on the in-laws one here. And I'm not going to solve all these, but... um, You know, it's your responsibility to make sure that as a husband and wife, you are forged together and you are committed to each other. First of all, I remember when my first child was born, a son, and um, I wondered if my wife had abandoned me because she was there for every moment, everything. And I said, well, what am I, a potted plant here? You know, it, what I'm trying to say here is there are these family relationships. You have to adjust them and you have to nurture them. You have to address them or they can become between you. Another one that is here is just ignorance. You've got to learn that there are things you need to know. Sometimes it's just learning to listen to what your spouse is saying. Sometimes I think it's a good thing to read books or uh, lots of resources out there that can inform you, that can help in a marriage relationship. A third one is selfishness. You know, there's one I, uh, the selfishness here is don't become caught up in the cult of me-ism. It's not just about you. But there is truly, just like with Christ and the church as we were talking about it, there is a joy in giving and serving and being there for the other one. You didn't marry them just so they could serve you. But there is a joy and a delight in anticipating and trying to be there and respond to the needs that he or she has in her life. Next one, misplaced priorities. Don't get caught up in the kingdom of thingdom. A happy marriage isn't about a bigger car or a bigger house or lots of money. Those things don't hurt unless they become an idol for you and something that takes priority that is there. But have the right priorities that are there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Another one I'll mention here, this is kind of a intransigence, translated um, stubbornness. Okay. It's, it's okay once in a while to say, you know what, you're right. I know that's an unnatural sound that come out of your mouth, isn't it? Or how many remember happy days? How many remember the fawns? 
the one word he could never say. You remember what it was? I was wrong. He could never say I was wrong. Okay? You will find that there is great grace and forgiveness if you are open and fluid and pliable in ways that you need to be. Let's keep moving. Be true to your essential nature. One of the things I have the hardest time with in our uh, great reset that some are trying to send us through today in trying to redefine everything is, is they're challenging that there is any natural order of the way things are supposed to be. But you can invent your own definition of relationship, of marriage, of sexuality, of gender. Just make it up. Somebody will find some scientific experiment that they did somewhere to try to back it up. But I'm telling you, it does not work well. And there is an essential nature that God has given to you as a woman and to you as a man. So we need to find our niche in that. The first thing here, and, and I'm going back to that verse that I read earlier, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's nothing so wonderful about trying to invent your own way. That's pretty confusing and pretty hard. You know, I don't think I'm the dumbest person here in the room. Uh, I sure know I'm not the smartest, but I'm telling you, I'm dumb enough to know that if I have to forge my own way and figure it out on my own, I'm going to get lost in no time. I need the Word of God. I need the insight that comes from things that are proven to be true to help me stay within the guardrails of who God wants me to be. Now, I'll just touch on a couple of things as far as an essential nature. Man, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. I suppose there are exceptions sometimes to what I'm about to say, and it's okay. But I'm telling you, in all of the years uh, that I've been in ministry now, and it's been, it's been uh, 50, over 50, I have never yet done marriage counseling and tried to work through problems with a, hundred and a husband and wife and we're talking about dozens and dozens, maybe a few hundred over the years. It's been a lot. I don't think I've ever counseled a couple in which the wife did not really want her husband to be a strong, loving, and sensitive leader. Now, there may be some out there. I just didn't run across them. But to be the leader does not mean that he is the dictator. It means through mutual submission that in conversation, 
you come into agreement on what would be the best thing to do. And if he is able, maybe he's too sick, maybe something else is going on, I don't know. But that that leader becomes the initiator of that. It's a formula that works very well. And that is, that is something that is rooted in God's word. Now, you can define leadership and, and carve that up and how it works within your relationship. But again, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Now, let's talk about women for a moment. A woman has a nesting instinct. Now, this is an interesting verse that comes from Paul in 1 Timothy. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Um, most women, not all, but most women, have a deep-seated yearning to be a mother. And God's even equipped them physically to handle that. And this is an order of creation. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now again, there are always variants of these sorts of things. And sometimes, uh, uh, for whatever reasons, a woman may choose not to have children, and that, that's fine. But you don't just say, let's see, what do I want to be when I grow up? Now, in the football game today, I'm telling you, uh, I know that there are women that are transitioning to being men, but I guarantee you, no time in the near future are you going to see a transitioned woman into a man playing linebacker. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So in a lot of ways, there is an essential nature that you have, and, and the and, and the adventure is to understand how that works out in your life. Lots of ways this can go in different directions now. Did you know that in law school and in universities, there, are dis, there, is, there is a distinct uh, majority of women who are enrolled over men now? There's career opportunities that technology has made possible that wasn't there for your parents or your grandparents. Lots of new things that open up. But I will tell you, you are never going to be truly at peace with yourself if you have abdicated that essential nature that God created you with. And I've just touched on a couple of things there. Don't try to rebel against how God has created you. But embrace it and learn how God can massage that and work that into the fabric of your life. One quick example. I had a, an aunt. She was the oldest on my father's side of the family, the oldest sibling. Her name was Margaret. And Margaret, uh, if, if she hadn't been a Christian and she was alive today, she probably would have transitioned into being a man. Okay? She probably would have. She was a wonderful Christian mom. Uh, she was only about four foot eleven, and she had a Marge Simpson hairdo that would make her look taller, I guess. I don't know. She was a great mom, wonderful Christian. 
she got her general contractor's license, okay? which is not common for a woman to do. My uncle, Claude, uh, he was a great Christian man. But to uh, watch him move around, he just seemed to move with a little hint of mint. Okay. But a great guy. And I don't know why God wired them the way they did, but they had a wonderful, happy marriage and three wonderful kids, my cousins today. But they found a way that their life and who, how God strung them together would work, being true to who God created them to be, but being shaped in a way that worked for them in the plan that God had for their life. Does that make any sense to you? So we're not talking about fitting into some little rigid, little narrow channel there. Find your niche. Now, let's look quickly before we close this morning at some vital signs of a healthy marriage. Number one, a spiritual foundation. I just think that that guy that I saw on the news last night that had Make America Gospel Again has it right. It's not working out so well for us when we try to forge and invent a whole new pathway. And it won't end well. Have you ever seen, I'm talking about one of these radical far left people that are wanting to try to re-engineer all of society. Have you ever met or seen one of them that was happy? They're always mad, aren't they? And I think that's because they're not at peace with their own soul. But a spiritual foundation is where it starts. Dr. Phil is on the right track. If he's going to dedicate at least a portion of his, would you call that a counseling or therapist type of vocation that he has in trying to reestablish the family and doing it on a spiritual foundation. I'm telling you, there is all the breadth in the world for God to be creative and inventive and fulfilling in your life if you just build your life on the foundation and live within the guardrails of that spiritual foundation. So that's one of the first things that's important in building a spiritual message. It is submission to one another out of reverence to the Lord. Have a servant's heart. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The leadership of Christ is servant leadership. Everything about Jesus' life was in service to the human race. If humanity had not fallen into sin, God would have never taken on the form of human flesh in Christ. If man couldn't save himself from sin, Jesus never would have died on the cross. If we didn't have a yearning for eternal life and an instinct for that, 
Jesus would have never promised to come again and bring us to be with himself for all eternity. The whole biography <coughs> of Jesus was written by his service to us. Here's a novel idea. If you're sitting there stubborn and wondering why she doesn't come around or he doesn't get with it, try serving them and being there to respond to who they are and who they need you to be. A third thing, intimacy. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve were naked before one another, but they felt no shame. The intimacy here comes in many different forms. There is intellectual intimacy, where you, where you really share your thoughts and your ideas with one another. There is emotional intimacy, where you let your guard down and let your spouse know what you're really thinking and what you're feeling. There's different kinds of intimacy there that is there in terms of goals that you have and you work together. Uh, you're intimate in sharing those and the disappointments that you have. The fears that you have. There's physical intimacy as well. But all of these things are part of what it means. You see, in Genesis, I think one of the things we make a mistake of doing is trying to take read it too one-dimensional and too literal sometimes. It's a story that has layers of meaning. And when the two become one flesh and they were naked and they, and they felt no shame, it speaks of the openness and the transparency and the vulnerability that they had in the ideal state of their creation. When you violate that with one another, that's when you're covered with shame and you cover yourself with fig leaves to try to hide from the other one. So there is intimacy in how God has created us to live. The next one is have the right priorities in your life. And you can just run that check. We're still at the front end of a new year. Look at the priorities of your goals and your ambitions. Are they the right ones? Are they things that, uh, that will last, that you can build upon, that are going to bring about uh, a greater good? Let's keep moving. Mutual affirmation. Paul writing in Romans. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Um... Now, Sheree will tell you that I'm always as cool as a cucumber. <laughs> Nothing can rattle my cage. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Not, oh, you watch your mouth. No, no. I don't know who else is like this, but... Um, Sometimes I can get a little fierier than I should. Okay. Uh, I don't know how many times a week in my 
prayer walks, I have to say, Lord, I didn't really mean to say that. Help me not to think those kinds of thoughts. But mutually affirm, build up, even those people that have crossed you, but especially with that person you're spending your life with. Build them up. Let them know. I, I will tell you this, okay? Um, uh, one of the things I look forward to every time I speak, and, and she will always say it, she'll say, Stan, that was a good message today. That just, and, and she will also tell you, and it was no different yesterday. I was working on this, and I said, you know, I just don't feel like this message is coming together. And she will say, you say that every week. <laughs> you see? Learn how to affirm one another. Say good things, especially this week. Financial fitness. Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. Live within your means. Make it a goal and get on a plan, if you're not there already, to be debt-free. It's a wonderful way to live. But that doesn't mean you indulge yourself in everything you impulsively think you want. Now, some of you probably, maybe nobody remembers, but I was here not too long ago when I was talking about living within your means, and I, was, I, was, um, I wasn't trying to brag, but it was a fact that I was driving a um, Honda Accord that was 17 years old and had nearly 200,000 miles on it, and it was still going strong. Well, yesterday, we got a new car. Okay. And it's from a friend of mine, because that one is still going, but I got tired of having to fix the little things, you know. Uh, one thing, I thank the Lord. I don't care about a fancy car, but I do want it to work all the time. Okay? And so um, I've got a friend that I've known from years ago, and, and he has a, uh, a car, a used car dealership there. And, and I, I just think he got us a smoking deal on a, an, uh, a 22 Honda Accord that has 6,000 miles on it. That's great. Okay, it looks great, but, it, but I kind of almost had to buy it sight unseen because he got it at the auction and told me about it. So last night we had it for the first time and I realized it doesn't have a seat, heated seats. <laughs> and you know, the Lord, the, the Lord spoke to me. I get you a like new car. At below wholesale. And you're complaining. In Las Vegas. Because it doesn't have heated seats. And I had to apologize to the Lord. Okay? I was ready to say, Jerry, I need to get a car that has heated seats and a sunroof. But isn't that our human nature? We always want something a little bit more. But strive for financial fitness. Don't compare. 
with other family members that may make more money than you do or the neighbor across the street. Learn that God gives you everything that you need and ask him to help you make the most of what you have. And I'm telling you, and this is God's truth. You know, it's a while back we started saving for a new car. And God has blessed us in so many ways. I mean, I just, I just can't tell you. And we had $30,000 set aside, 32, 33, almost 35 set aside that we had been saving for a number of years to get a newer, newer car. Can I tell you that God has blessed us enough that we, I was just able to write a check for that and didn't even have to touch the money we had set aside for that. Okay? And so what I'm telling you is when you save, little by little, God takes that and multiplies it. And multiplies it. We have to use wisdom and discretion. And I'm not trying to make myself a model for anything at all. But what I'm trying to say is strive for financial fitness. Okay, common dreams. And I don't have a text for this, but if you read through the story of the patriarchs in Genesis, it was the right husband and the right wife that God provided. And they dreamed the dreams together. And they forged a nation that is still one, and it might be the single most impressive people on earth. I'm talking about the Jewish people and how God has blessed them against all odds. But it was that common dream. It's the faith of Abraham and Sarah and uh, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob. And am I getting my matriarchs mixed up? But you know who I'm talking about. Okay? Dream the dreams. Have plans. 20 years from now. And you're working towards that to together. Last thing. Is united you stand. Out of Ecclesiastes, we read these words. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. You've got each other's back. And there is nothing that can come between you. And you're united in how you raise your children, in how you manage your money, in how you pursue your dreams. You're there to support each other. These are wonderful keys. The forging of a relationship that will last and constructing a good marriage. A lot of other things I could say, but you're about done, and so am I. I got a party to go to. No, not really. There's some kids coming over later. But what I would like to do is, is I'd like for us to close this service, service in, in prayer. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. and um, You might be here alone, but you've got a spouse here. But uh, if you're with, with, with your spouse, I'd just like you to take the hand of your spouse or with your kids or uh, maybe you have a parent who's here with you. And, and, and I'd like for us just, uh, I'm going to take just a few moments for and, and I, I do want to remember in this prayer, too, those that are um, alone, serving the Lord alone, 
And uh, if there's a family member or a friend near you that you might want to pray with them. And let's just pray and ask the Lord not to take our action points um, from the conventional wisdom of the day or from the flavor of the month new philosophy or idea. But to be the men and women that God wants us to be. And if you're here and your spouse is working with the kids back there, you can just pray uh, for them while you're here. But let's just, let's just pray for God's blessing on our relationships, on our homes, our marriages, our family. And let's just do this. I'm just going to ask you to do it for 30 seconds. And then I'm going to close in prayer today. But let's pray today together about this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, I pray that you help us to have strong homes and families. Help us to be part of the building blocks of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Before I close in prayer, I'm just thinking there could be somebody here that as you've been listening to this message or maybe just standing here in prayer right now, uh, the Lord has impressed you with something. Maybe it's a passage of scripture or maybe it's something the Lord has spoken to your heart that um, you would like to share. But I'd just like to give you an opportunity to just express what you feel like the Lord may be speaking to you and maybe it's something that would be beneficial for the rest of us to hear. So I'm just going to wait for a moment. If there's a, a, a word you have, just, just express that. It, it, Regan, is your hand up? Yes. Okay. Lord, we thank you that your word shows us the way in which you intended us to live. And I ask, Father, for your blessing upon every uh, family that's represented here today, husbands, wives, single men, widows, whoever we may be. And Lord, may we follow the pathway that you have for us to live. And to take another look at some of those trouble spots that may be there in our relationships or within ourselves and that we would pattern ourselves 
after the model that you have set before us and that we would freely be the joyous couples, husbands, wives, individuals that you intended us to be as we follow and develop the mold in which you, lived us, you, you created us to live. Bless us throughout this week in all that we say and do. We pray that you'd go with us now as we dismiss in Jesus' name. Amen.